as you know, the scripture says that we live in very perilous times. Uh, it, it tells us, the scripture tells us that uh, in first in Second Timothy, it says, in the last days, perilous times will come. And I, I believe these are those last days, and I believe these are perilous times. But we need to understand something. We are different than the world. Now, what is the world? That, that's the, we, we need we to define the term here. The world is not talking about the planet. It's talking about the system of man depending upon man to meet his own need. Okay, that's what the world is. It's a system. Okay, we are different than their system. Man is not our God. We don't depend upon man. We depend on God. Okay, so that, that it's a system that contradicts the word the word of God. Okay, well, we can't help what happens to us, but we can help what happens in us, and we need to make sure that what happens to us doesn't get in us. Okay, because things come all the time, and we've got to make sure that it doesn't get inside of us. Okay, Jesus said that we are in the world, but we're not of it. Okay, it is not our government. We are connected to the government of God. Okay, we are actually aliens here, and we have a different home. Christians need to get a mentality of the fact that we're going to live forever. <clears throat> and living here is the shortest thing we will ever do. Someone talked about, well, did you get to see your dad for the last time? Well, if we understand eternity, no, it wasn't the last time. <laughs> Okay, so we have to understand eternity is way bigger than the mortality we live in right here. Okay, we're in the world, but we're not, we're not of the world. Jesus said that, that we are no more defined by the world than he was defined by the world. Okay, so it doesn't determine our limits. It doesn't determine who we are and what we become. Our lives are to be lived in, in, in exhibition of his great love for us. We need to live that way, choosing him above all else. It's interesting, in Amos chapter 5, the prophet is talking about judgment that is going to come on the house of Israel. And twice in verses 4 and 6, he says, seek me. God says, seek me and you will live. Seek me and you will live. In, in uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 14, it says, seek good and not evil that you may live. That's an interesting statement. The Amplified Bible reads verse 4 this way. It says, Seek me, search diligently for me, and regard me as more essential than food so that you may live. If we're going to really live, we're going to have to regard God as more essential than food. More essential than anything else. Verse 6 says, Seek the Lord, search diligently for him, and long for him as your most essential need so that you may live. Can I tell you something? There are things we might need, but we need God more than we need anything else. He is the one who can bring us life. The result of not seeking God in Amos chapter 5 was judgment. This judgment was to break out like fire that no one could quench. I'll tell you, fire will come on the earth. But thank goodness we won't be here at that time. I like it. It says, seek me. The word seek means to seek, to frequent, to inquire, to require. We need to require God. 
It also means worship. We need to worship Him. I love the, the definition of the Hebrew word live. means to be to live, to be kept alive. It means to be preserved. I love this one. To live prosperously, to be revived. <clears throat> Revival will come as the church seeks God. Making Him everything. Making Him more important than anything else that there is. Here, here's a great passage of Scripture for the last days. And this is all just introduction, and it's free. The name kept, so just so you know. <laughs> Colossians 3, verse 10 says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye. And above all these, put on charity or love, as the, which is the bond of perfectness. <clears throat> Let the peace of God rule your hearts, to the which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's how you live in perilous times. It says put on, put on. The, the, the phrase put on, the Greek word is in duo, which means to put on a piece of clothing. When we dress for the day, we've we got to choose what we wear, and we actually put it on. You don't wait for it to jump on your body. It would be awesome if I could be laying in my bed and say, clothes, on. Doesn't work that way. We are new creatures. We must put on the new man. The scripture tells us to put it on just as we put off the old. When we live in perilous times, we must continually put on the new man. Christ, in perilous times, must be all in all. Amen. Unfortunately, many Christians, we think about Jesus on Sunday. Or we think about him when we come to home group. But Christ needs to be all in all. We must put on mercies. This almost makes me mad sometimes. Put on mercies. Kindness. We have this little sign on our piano that says, what says it's, it's always a good time to be kind? Or, Never underestimate the power of being kind. Never underestimate the power of being kind. Love is patient <clears throat> and kind. Isn't that something? It says to, we're supposed to put on kindness, humbleness, humbleness of mind in the King James. Some of the way we think. We've got to understand we know nothing compared to God. He, he is God. Meekness. Meekness is, doesn't mean weakness. Meekness is, is restraint. Mm -hmm. Meekness, the picture in the, in the Greek for this word meekness has to do with putting a bit in a horse's mouth. It has the power to trample, but with the bit in his mouth, he can be restrained. Meekness is being restrained. Understanding, we need to allow the Lord to control us. Long-suffering, forbearing. We need to, that, that word means to be tolerant and hold back when somebody else gets on your nerves. Forbearing of others, forgiving others. It says, above all, put on love. That ties it all together. Once we put on love and are walking that way, peace 
that passes understanding in perilous times begins to act as umpire in our lives. I know this, we can't make great decisions if we're panicked. People who are in a panic, they have a hard time making a clear decision. But if peace is ruling my umpire, I mean, ruling my heart as an umpire, I'll tell you, that will help me. It calls the shot. It, 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 it decides whether the emotion is true or not, whether the anger or the fear. It, it makes sure those things don't determine my decisions. And once that rules my heart, I love this, then the word can dwell in me richly. In other words, I become a spiritual billionaire because the word lives in me richly. See, that's the kind of Christian we ought to be. And then, and now, I can have God's wisdom. Realize, wisdom is his currency. If, if I want money, because that's our currency, what I, what I need to find is God's wisdom. Because then I can exchange his wisdom for money. That's pretty good stuff right there. Yeah. He gives wisdom, the scripture says. I can't find one that says he gives money, but he gives wisdom. Now, when I give, it's given to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaped together, running over. But he gives me wisdom and understanding. Solomon wisdom, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so we need we need his currency for for to, to help us, and we make the exchange. Right? We're not we're not controlled by emotions, but by peace that allows the word to live on the inside of us. The final result of that passage is that is that uh, peace calls the right shot. And then we now can live our lives singing and living above the circumstances. That's how we live in, in the last days. We've got to understand, as Christians, we don't have the right to our own beliefs. Now, wait a minute. I can believe anything I want to believe. That's true. But I'm going to tell you, when you stand before Jesus and you say, well, I believe. Number one, you're not going to say it. Because you will be standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when you say, well, I just believe, you're not going to get that out of your mouth because you're going to know in his presence that isn't going to fly. We don't have a right to that. Our right is to serve him. What he says goes. Amen. That's really good. I could probably quit right there. In difficult times, the scripture says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. In difficult times, the scripture says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I tell you, in difficult times, instead of opening your mouth and speaking out what you feel, you need to open your mouth and pray in the Spirit. Don't speak the fear and, 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 and all of those things. Speak what, what, what God would have you to speak. When we're tempted to worry, the scripture says to be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication and giving thanks, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Man, when you get that kind of peace, in tough times, the world will think you are absolutely crazy. 
Aren't you worried? I mean, the, 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 aren't you just worried about that? Listen, I always wonder, what good is worrying going to do for me? Because worrying is a down payment on something you may never have to buy. <laughs> the scripture says, I mean, it tells me, be anxious for nothing. I love what Jesus said. Take no thought. It literally says in the Greek, take no anxious thought. But here's the worst way to do it. He, Jesus said, take no thought saying. When those thoughts of anxiety come, don't start talking the anxiety. Well, I'm just worried. I'm just worried that, that you know, that fault that runs in California, it's going to fall in the ocean, and, and all, those, all those Westerners are going to move here, and what are we going to do then? <laughs> Take no thought, say it. We're going to move out to Frank's house. That's right. That's right. Take no thought. We, we need to make sure that we do what the Word says. There is never a good time to say, I know what the Bible says, but... Never a good time to say that. I know what the Bible says, and I'm going to stay with God, and I'm going to stand with Him. That was all free, so let's get to the message. <laughs> Our text that we started on last time was in Romans 8:28, And this is a verse that you all know and you've heard many times. The scripture says, And we know that all things work together for good. There's no period here. It continues. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The scripture says that all things work together for good, not for everyone, but for a specific group of people, for, for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We can't quote just part of the, the verse. I mean, I know people that are not even born again and can quote the part, well, I, all things work together for good. Listen, all things don't always work together for good for all people. It doesn't always work together for good. The qualifier here is that we must love God. Here's the reality. God loves everyone. There's not anyone that God doesn't love. He loves everyone, and that's not the question. The reality is all people are called to his purpose. He's got a call on everybody's life. The only question is, do we love God? Loving God is the key. Many people miss the joy of Christianity. It's like, I probably would say most Christians I know, it's like they're gritting their teeth trying to live for God. And they miss the joy of it. The joy of Christianity isn't getting God to do something for me if I do enough good things, get enough brownie points. The joy of Christianity is getting to know Him. Having an intimate relationship with Him, knowing Him, and being known of Him. That's what Christianity is about. Having a relationship with God. It ought to be fun. Can I just say, if it's not fun... You're not doing it right. It ought to be fun. The happiest people on the planet ought to be Christians. The psalmist said, happy are the people whose God is the Lord.
Amen. This is good. It is good. If you're under condemnation, you're doing it wrong. There's no condemnation in Christ. His mercy is new every day. Even when we mess up, we can go to him, and it's new every morning. God is good. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2, I mean 1 Corinthians 8, verses 2 and 3. We read this last week, last time. If any man think he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. In other words, if you think you know more than God, you don't know anything. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Knowledge apart from God, the scripture says, puffs up. It has no substance and is a matter of pride. Compared to God, we really know nothing. Knowledge does not make a person a good person. Knowledge doesn't even guarantee a good life. It's knowing God. Many people know God or they have no, no, I'm sorry. Many people know about God or have known about God but choose not to follow him. They choose not to. Many Christians know what God wants them to do and they refuse to do what they know. Why would they do that? Because they love something else more. Wouldn't that be the answer? If, 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 if I know what the Lord tells me to do, and I don't do it, it's because what I want to do, I love more. I know this is hard. It's going to get good here in just a few minutes. But we, we, have, we need to love Him more. Do you know the way to overcome any sin is to love God more? It's really that simple. If I love God more, then I can overcome anything. I found out if I love Tammy more, I don't have a problem with going out with other women because I love her more. That's not the only reason I don't go out with them, but that's a pretty good one. I just hadn't found any any cute enough after her. That's the deal. You see... Things work out together for good to those who love God. That's a pretty big deal, loving God. We're going to talk about what that means as we go along here tonight. What time is it? Okay. We, on this planet, we're here and we can make a choice. We're here to choose. God isn't going to make anybody love him. Not going to make anybody follow him. We have freedom of choice. We can choose him and we'll live with him for all of eternity. People can reject him and because they have freedom of choice and they'll choose eternity apart from him. The Bible says an interesting thing in Isaiah 45, 15. It says, Verily, thou art a God that hidest himself. Did you know that God hides himself from some people? And reveals himself to others. He hides himself from those that refuse him. And he reveals himself to those that choose him. God hides from people sometimes. It's all about loving God. We know God loves everyone. But it's loving him that draws his presence. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. God knows everybody. He knows who everyone is. He knows who we are. He can count the hairs on our head, or he knows that. He doesn't have to count them. He knows it. Some job, some people, that's an easier job than others. But he knows us. But he's intimately acquainted with those that love him. 
when we love him, man, he is just all over it. He manifests himself there. I've always thought, until a few years ago, I've always thought that the biggest problem in the church, in the world, was ignorance of the Word of God. I thought that was the biggest problem we had. Because I'd always quote Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I thought, that's the problem. If people could just <laughs> learn the Word, they wouldn't have all these problems. You've guessed by now that I really think a lot of the Word of God, and I think it's very, very important. And I thought, that's it. If they just knew the Word. One day the Holy Spirit said, I want you to read a little further in that verse. I said, okay. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. It wasn't the lack of knowledge that brought destruction. It was the rejection of knowledge that brought the destruction. It was a choice. It wasn't ignorance. It was a rejection. The problem is a choice people make. I've heard this said many times over the years. Well, if people just knew how much God loves them, they'd get saved. I'm going to tell you, that's not necessarily true. The problem isn't, isn't, that, many, isn't that because many people know about the love of God and choose to reject it. They know that God loves them. Today, we have a lot of emphasis on this, you know, uh, no-fault religion and, the, you know, all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you something. It's, we really need to learn how to love God. One night I was in a hospital room and I was talking to this guy and he was dying. He was on his deathbed and I shared with him about the love of God. How that Jesus had died for him and how that, you know, he was getting ready to step across into eternity. And that he needed Jesus in his heart. And, and, and he, said, he said, he looked at me and said, you know, preacher, I know that. I know all that, but I'm just not ready. No. Mm -hmm. I said, you're not ready. In just a few hours, you're going to step across. What will it take for you to be ready? He said, I don't know. I know all that stuff you said. I'm just not ready. Oh. Mm. He, see, the problem wasn't, he, it wasn't that he didn't know about the love of God. He rejected God's love. He chose it. You see, we, we don't need just to know about his love, but we need to return his love. We need to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the next few verses I'm going to read may seem negative to you, but we're going to do some good stuff before I get finished. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, if the world, this is verse 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were in the world, and the world would love his own. If you were in the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. Now, Jesus said that people hate him. Jesus said the world hates him. He's talking about this system where man meets his own need. Listen, we've got to understand, if people hate God, we can't be shocked if they hate us. My personality is that I kind of think everybody likes me. And it shocks me sometimes when they don't. But then when I, I realize sometimes if I'm telling someone about Jesus and that makes them mad, well, that puts me in pretty good company because if they hate God, I can't be shocked if they hate me. 
If the world loves you so much, you might want to think about your relationship with them. Now, it doesn't mean the favor of God in on you because the favor acts. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He said, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sinned. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. In this passage of scripture, love came to the people in the flesh. They saw the love of God in action. They saw the love of God in person. And they hated him. Isn't that amazing? Would, I mean, they saw Jesus heal the sick. They saw Jesus cast out the demons, saw him raise the dead, and yet they hated him. These are people who knew a lot about God. I mean, we're talking about Pharisees and Sadducees and people that had equivalents of PhDs in theology, and these people hated Jesus. They knew about God but rejected him. And you know this is true. We can't love God apart from Jesus. That's the only way to get to God. Many today are trying to say that, you know, we're all serving the same God. And, you know, you may serve God and call him Buddha. And you can serve God and call him Allah. Can I just tell you something? There is no way to this God that we know except through Jesus Christ. And he is God the Father. All right? But when people hate and they reject God, it's not because always that they don't know that he, that he loves them. All right? When people hate the church, I mean, we see that happening all the time in the media and things around us, and they express hate for God's church, they express hate for him. Okay, they don't like him. People hear about God. They know about God. Now listen to these verses. This is in John chapter 3. The scripture says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. And this is the greatest verse maybe in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his son, for God sent not his son in the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's an interesting thing. God loves all men. Right there in John 3, we read verse 16, God loves everybody. There is no question about that. God loves everyone. The question is, Will men respond to the love of God or will they love darkness more than they love light? People reject God. See, some love the darkness. Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world. The church he left as the light of the world. We, we need to learn how to love the light. To love darkness is to hate the light. We must love God and love what God loves. We must love God. Now, here's, now I'm going to get some good verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I read this last week. But it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for everybody. No, no. For them that love him. 
But God hath revealed him to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Who has God prepared these great things for? The people that love him. He's prepared them for those that love him. From that context, we can see the Holy Spirit reveals previously unknown revelations to lovers of God. I'll tell you something. When you, when you don't know what to do, the question is not, God, what do I do? The question is, how can I love you more? Because he reveals those things to those that love him. I mean, we got to have this in mind. I don't try to love God so he will give me stuff. But the byproduct of loving him is he reveals things to me that I've never seen before. I mean, he, he brings revelation to us because we love him. The scripture says in Romans 8, 35, and you may have never heard it taught this way, but I'm going to teach it anyway. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, I want you to think for just a moment. Would tribulation, is this even a logical question to say, would tribulation cause Christ to quit loving me? Not logical. But could tribulation cause me to stop loving him? I've known people who go through a hard time and they fall away from God. Would distress, persecution, famine? See, it doesn't make sense to think that God would quit loving me because I'm persecuted or quit loving me because of famine or nakedness or peril or sword. The question isn't whether Jesus will quit loving me. The question, because he's talking about all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose, it comes down to this verse. It says, who is going to separate us from the love of God? Who's going to separate me from loving him? Are the circumstances of life going to cause me not to love him? Are they going to cause me not to serve him? The question isn't about God's love for me. It never is. It never will be. Because God loves everyone. But he manifests that love and that presence to those who receive his love and return it back to him. The scripture says here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When we, when we receive that love and we return it to him, I mean, God is so attracted by that, he comes on it. We've got to determine in our hearts that nothing is going to separate us from loving him. Nothing. Now, we can't do it in arrogance like Peter did. He says, you know what? Even if we have to die, I'm going to stand with you. In humility, he says, God, I love you. I believe you. And I'm going to stand with you. Now, God, I've got to have your help. But I want you to love through me so I can love back to you. Loving God is the key to intimacy with him. Loving him. Loving him. Just being head over heels in love with Jesus. Remember that day you got baptized in the Holy Spirit? I mean, I remember. It was just like, man, all I could think about was Jesus. It was a good thing I didn't know Tammy then because, I, you know, there might have been a conflict. <laughs> now, loving God is the key. Intellectuals feel sorry for people like us. You realize that, right? Yeah. They feel sorry for us. Romans chapter 1 talks about it. The apostle said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God and salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, 
as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest of them, for God has shown it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. The righteousness of God comes only by faith and not by intellect. Only by faith. Because if I'll tell you, if, intellect, if, you're, if you are righteous because of your intellect, you know you're not. You know that can't be right. It has to be by faith. Faith, selling out on the word of God, believing him. The righteousness that we that, that it's in our lives is not a standard that's derived by man or an external source. It's being right as God sees it. This passage is speaking of people that know right but don't do right. Their intellectualism tells them that it's foolishness. You know, that loving God stuff. How can you love someone you can't even see? You know, Tammy was in Arizona a couple of weeks ago, and I was here. I loved her. I couldn't see her. <laughs> but I know, I, I mean, I just know that. Those in the world system hold the truth. It's interesting. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. Literally, it says they suppress the truth. You've got to know the truth to suppress it. There are people who are suppressing the truth. They put a lid on the truth because the truth will expose them. There are those people out there tonight that are violently opposed to the church, violently opposed to God's people because God's people might say that what they're doing is wrong and they don't want to hear it. And they suppress the truth. They know the truth. Some of them can quote the Bible more than you can because they've searched it to find loopholes so they can practice whatever it is they want to practice. And they suppress the truth. They know it. But they refused to accept it. They rejected. That scripture says they knew God. They understood the reality, but they rejected it. Okay. All of creation shows God. Everything out there shows God. Shows God's way. Shows that God, God is good and that God's way is, is perfect. God loves everyone. But when his word and his love are rejected, those very same people choose to be rejected by God of their own free choice. They're asking to be rejected. When you love good, you'll hate evil and vice versa. Back to 1 Corinthians 8, 3. If any man love God, the same is known of him. I mean, that's powerful stuff. Loving God is the key. Not doing my duty so God will owe me something. We're not on the, the lollipop system. Or that if we do enough good stuff, God gives us a lollipop. We love God. Not because of what he will give to us, but because of what he has done already. I'll tell you, years ago, Andre Crouch used to sing this song. This tells you how old I am. And if you've never heard of Andre Crouch, you're too young for this. <laughs> he sang this song. He said, if heaven were never promised to me. I remember the rest of the words we talked about. I would still love God because of what he's already done for me. Well, heaven is promised. And he has done so much. We just need to love him. Just love him. Second Chronicles 16, 9. 
For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. I'm so grateful. It doesn't say in behalf of those whose theology is perfect toward him. In behalf of those, them whose performance is perfect toward him. No, it says he shows himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. The Amplified says it this way. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may support those whose heart is completely his. That's a better rendering of it. Perfect heart means to be wholehearted. God shows himself strong, supports those whose hearts are completely his, who give their heart to him. I mean, that means loving God. When we love God more than anything else, I mean, we're going to do what he says, and his best is going to be manifested in our lives. And we'll do exactly what he wants us to do. Now, here's how we know if we love God. Are you ready? This has been such an easy message, hasn't it? It brings some things to light, doesn't it? Jesus said this, He that hath my commandments, the word hath, hath here means to possess, to take in possession, to own. He that owns my commandments and keepeth them. The word keep here means to guard, to hover over and protect. He that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Now there's the litmus test. If I have his word, I'm, and I'm doing everything I can to keep his word. Now, I'm not talking about perfection tonight, flawlessness. <clears throat> I'm talking about wholeheartedness, but none of us are going to be flawless. But we need to understand, there's, well, you know, I, I love the Lord. Well, bluebirds love the Lord too. I'm talking about you and me, human beings. He said, if I have his word and I keep his words, he said, that's who loves me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. I mean, that's pretty strong stuff. To whom is the love of the father and the son manifested? Those that love him. That's who it is. We know he loves everyone, but he manifests himself. Manifests himself to those that love him. He hides from some. He manifests himself to, to some. From the passage, we can see that he manifests himself to those who love him more than whatever would cause them to disobey. I mean, if I love him more, I'm not going to do the other thing because I love him more. Loving God is demonstrated when I choose his word above how I feel and what I want to do in my flesh. That's a daily thing, isn't it? It includes my attitude. Includes my opinion. Mm. It even includes my opinion of myself and my past. Mm. If I love him, I know this, that when Jesus died on the cross, he took my sin. He made me a new creature. And if I love God, I, whether I feel it or not, I'm going to say, okay, then I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And you already hear the devil, no, you're not. Dances around you screaming, no, you're not. Remember this, remember that. No, no, I love God. 
I love you, God, and your word declares that I was made the righteousness of God. That's good stuff right there. Jesus was made. He never sinned one time, but he was made to be sin for me. I may have never once committed righteousness, but I was made to be righteous because Jesus became my sin. Mm. And I know this, if I accept the judgment that was on him, mm-hmm. I'm righteous and I'm free. And I choose to obey your word, Father, and declare that to be true over my mm. life. Mm. Amen. And now, he manifests himself. Man, that is really good, huh? He manifests himself. See, he's proven his love for me. He has said that's what it is. Now, I obey him not to get something from him, but I love him. And I want him more than anything else. That, that verse in the Amplified says it this way. The person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him and make myself real to him. That's what I want. I want this real Jesus. See, the proof of our love is just just doing what he says, just operating in that. See, the social definition today says that, that love lets you do anything you want to do. The reality is God's love protects us. Holds us. He knows the right way to do stuff, don't you think? I mean, he knows what to do. When he gave the Ten Commandments, it wasn't the ten thou shalt not so they could so they would, wouldn't have any fun. It was so they would live long. So they could have good lives. So they could be with God for a long time in the earth and then go be with him in heaven. Man, we need to love him. We need to be with him. Here's the reality. He says in James 4, 8, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. See, he's, he's already done everything. Everything. All, all that's required now is for us to just come near him and receive what is he has for us. We need to love him. No other God, no other system, loving God. Loving God. And then... It's all going to work together for good because we love him and we're the called according to his purpose. Amen.